0: Welcome back to Troubleshooting Agile. Hi there, Jeffrey. Hi, Squirrel. Well, we have a guest today, so hi, Chris. This is uh, Chris Parsons. Hi there, Chris. Uh, Chris Parsons, uh, an old friend of both of ours uh, and someone who uh, is a uh, a leading Agile thinker and has some some very interesting ideas, especially uh, we're gonna focus today on Agile training. And uh, Chris, I understand that you're a bit of an Agile training skeptic, that you you think that uh, Agile training might not be the be all and end all. Yeah, can you tell us? It sounds it sounds like agile training uh, would be a good idea if you want to get better at agile. If you want to troubleshoot agile, what, shouldn't you get some agile training?
1: Absolutely, you should get some agile training, but at the right point. I think the the thing for me is that I've been an agile trainer. I've done and I've done agile training for a number of years. And often when I come to teams uh, that I've I've kind of either working with a partner and they've they brought me in, they or they've they found me up and said, look, we'd love to we'd love to learn how to do agile. We want some training. And and when I get there and I, I start talking to the teams, often they 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 have some understanding of, of how they work and how they want to work, but they they're really looking for the best way of working. They're looking for the 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 right way to do to do agile. And and for me, I've I found that the really the, the right way to do agile very much depends on the team and it depends on the people that are involved. And and it makes more more sense to uh, to build and iterate on your own process. Now, while it's really useful to have some of the ideas and some of the practices, um, often that's not the best place to start. Often the best place to start is, okay, who is the team? What are we and, and, and how can we best ship software as, as a group? And, and I think uh, the idea of, of working alongside a team as they figure out their own process and throwing in little ideas here and there is a much better way of approaching uh, building an agile team than sort of trying to download a bunch of information about a particular process into them at the very beginning of their agile journey. Um, now that will give them some tools, but actually how to apply them is very difficult. It's a little bit like sitting a rugby team in a classroom and you know getting a, a whiteboard out and say, okay, this is exactly how rugby works, and um, and teaching them all the rules so that they know exactly the rules of rugby, and then you say, okay, well go and go and um, figure out how to to beat the the other team over there, and then you sort of send them on to the close the door and, and send them off onto the pitch and expect them to do well. And, and I think you're much better off uh, trying to learn how to play rugby by doing it and, and having someone standing alongside sidelines, cheering them on and and uh, giving them tips as they go rather than sitting people in the classroom. Um, so I think that kind of analogy very much extends to software development. And, and I think that we are in a position here where we have uh, an awful lot of training courses, an awful lot of packaged products that people can sell uh, or, or people can buy to do training, uh, but but ultimately it's it's less effective because they're not given any kind of uh, any kind of coaching afterwards. Often, um, in order to to do something, people feel like they can if they only buy a package and they figure out the one best way to do agile, they'll be fine.
2: Well, that sounds great. Let, let let's figure out the one best way and just do that. Why, you know that that does sound attractive, doesn't it?
1: It does it does sound attractive, but it's a complete myth. I think I think that there's uh, there isn't really one best way to do agile. Agile is far too young a discipline. Software development is far too young a discipline. We've only really been doing it, uh, software, building software for a few decades. Uh, we've been doing Agile for about 20 years or so. Uh, we, we really don't have a clue about how to do it properly. We haven't even figured out what all the best roles are, what all the right people are to have in the team. Um, there are new disciplines uh, being formed all the time. Um, I think that you know, the technology is changing so fast. That, that ultimately the teams are working in completely different ways on completely different tools. Uh, you know, every three or four years it feels like, depending on which kind of language ecosystem you're in. So I feel like uh, the idea that we might be able to settle on the one best way to develop software, you know, I think maybe we might be able to do that in several hundred years once we've been doing this for <laughs> a little while. But I think at this point, it's it's very unlikely that we're going to find it within our lifetime. So so. This whole idea of the one best way to do something, I think, is a complete pipe dream. I think it's not worth teams trying to do that. There are good ways to do things that work better than other ways, but that does not mean that a team can can kind of pull something off the shelf and apply it and expect to do well.
0: That's going to be uh, sad news for all the folks who are delivering Agile training really in a box and giving you certifications and making sure that you pass all the tests and so on. They're they're going to be disappointed. So you're claiming all of those people are wrong?
1: I'm not claiming that they're entirely wrong in some of the things they say. A lot of the practices that they teach are useful. I think packaging them together in a product uh, that can be applied to a team is unhelpful. I think that some of those principles and ideas are useful when applied to a team but that does not mean that having a certificate that says oh i have completed this and i have i have the ability now to to apply all these processes in one go is actually very helpful um i i think that what all it will ever do is take a team of beginners and and raise them to a the team of slightly less beginners if you see what i mean Um, because they'll, they'll they'll learn one very so optimal way of working together that will that will last them uh, that might help for a few weeks, but it's never going to push them on to something greater.
2: You know, your your example of rugby reminded me of one of my favorite papers I've ever read, which is the Mundanity of Excellence, which is an ethnographic study of swimmers done in the U.S. in the 70s. Um, this is in advance of the Olympics, where the U.S. knew that they were going to do well. And so they, the um, something like the U.S. Swimming Association or something, um, hired some people to study a bunch of the top uh, swimming athletes, and they wrote this paper that talked about really what differentiated people from um, the different levels. One thing about swimming is, as a as a place to study performance, is that you have very precise data timed to the hundredth of a second at all levels of performance, from a county meet, you know, uh, uh, up to international competitions, and you can see how people progress over time. And one of the things that what I remember from that paper is that the importance of coaching, that people really improved when they changed schools and really when they changed coaches, because they learned new techniques, new ways of doing things. And one of the takeaways here is is that the difference in performance was down to factors that were qualitative rather than quantitative. They, They weren't doing the same stroke, but faster. They were doing a different stroke. And um, and so you have this the idea that it was not that they went and read books. It wasn't that they learned the one best <laughs> the one best way to, to to do their their particular stroke. It was rather they worked with people who could say, all right, given where you are, you you know, you should learn this technique now. You should add this in. And different coaches had different sets of of these techniques that they would would pass on.
1: Yeah, that's fascinating. I think the idea of of getting better when you change coaches. Is really interesting because I found when I've done agile coaching in the past that that um I used to think when I was beginning agile coaching that if I finished with a team if I was becoming less effective then that was in some way a failure you <laughs> know that I, I had no more <laughs> to teach them or or that they um you know I I just wasn't able to I wasn't able to get anywhere with them anymore and and I think uh, as I've kind of done a little bit more I've realised that uh, that that actually I I do better when I put in shorter engagements. Um, trying to change a team over a year is is really challenging to sustain that level of change because because ultimately uh, people do appreciate and benefit from other people's points of view. And and I think when I've gone in and, and helped a team for a, a couple of months or uh, maybe three or four months and I've noticed uh, the effectiveness of my ability to, to effect change on behalf of the team members, Uh, diminish i just think well this is my this is my time i'm now i i've i've done what i've done them i've had the maximum effect that i can have here any longer and they're better off talking to somebody else and i'll I'll go somewhere else and i think um that i used to think as i said that was a sign of failure that i i obviously run out of things to say or or teach them but actually i've realized that uh you know your impact in a team comes best at the very beginning where you are able to um really listen and understand and then suggest a particular uh, aspect of what you know and how that can apply to how they can be helped and then and all of the best kind of changes all all happened in those kind of moments once I would figured out where a team was at and was able to suggest some ideas. Um, that doesn't mean, however, though, that you can go in and say right, you need to do this, this, this and this and you're fine <laughs> you can't You have to. Look- you know that's the again that's the agile in a box thing that's just that's just presenting them with the box and saying okay, this is what you do you have to go in and you have to listen but but ultimately over time uh, your your approach has been kind of hopefully embedded and and some of the ideas have been taken on some of them obviously won't work but some will and and the team's doing better than when you got there and that's a success
0: do you have any examples you can share with our listeners where you found that you maybe you tried some training and then the, the coaching turned out to be better or where uh, training just really wasn't appropriate? An, an, an example I think would help us um, make this concrete.
1: Sure, so so in a case where training does work is where I've worked with a team for a long time. So um, sometimes where we've I've taught behavior development, for example, I've gone in on and done day courses with different groups of people in a larger organization. And that's really about just bringing the team up to speed with what everybody else was already doing and just giving them the basics and and i think that is that is hopeful because that's sort of drip feeding in and as part of that we get into conversations uh, usually uh, at lunch times or, or before and after where we would talk about the specifics about how things are going and how to apply that so that was really coaching plus training uh, which worked really well i think um other times where i've sort of gone in and done sort of five days of training We we were booked in to do, we we did a a particular company, a large company where where, um, there were two of us and we we came in and we did five days of Agile training for the whole company. Um, Everybody, CEO down, I think, maybe not the CEO, but pretty much everybody else was there. And it was about 50 people in the room. And we got to the end of the first day where we were talking about the basics of Agile. And we thought, okay, how are we gonna fit uh, this particular um, flavor of, I think we were teach, specifically teaching techniques from behavior development that day again. How are we going to fit this into an agile process? And it was only at that point at sort of, you know, half past three or quarter to four on the first day that we realized they didn't have an agile process at all. The, the way that the company worked was that we, they, uh, stakeholders would pick their favorite developers and, and hand them individual pieces of work to do. Nobody knew what anybody else was working on. So, so we, we got there and realised, hang on a minute. We, we have no idea. They have no idea how to apply any of these techniques. We were sort of, we were on chapter four of. Of the agile book and they they were on the introduction and we completely we would missed the entire thing so we basically rejigged the entire rest of the five-day training to kind of start them right at the beginning and um and, and that was quite successful in the end they were quite happy with that but only because we reacted to what was going on i think if we'd if we'd done what unfortunately i think does happen and and stuck to our kind of script i don't think they'd have had much benefit from it in the end
0: yeah, I'm just not sure what you mean. I'm I'm holding my planning games with my one developer, and um, you know I keep getting getting good estimates, and and yeah. they get things done. But it it you know it never works with anything else. I, I wonder what yeah. I'm doing wrong here in in holding my one person planning games. Yep,
1: I and I think understand. I think it's quite interesting where you have that kind of individual uh, people assigning individually, and that's not to den- denigrate that process. I mean, it was sort of working for them, but there was no coordination, and that's what they wanted. Exactly, but, that's uh, what would go wrong. It, yeah, exactly. But I think when it's coordinated, that can be actually quite effective. Where you have a developer working alongside a stakeholder. Uh, Dan North, uh, in his book Accelerated Agile, talks about that kind of approach. And and that, uh, like I said before, you know, you can't then take that and say this is exactly how everyone should work. It worked well in certain contexts. And and therefore, you the idea of trying to to listen and understand what the what the dynamics of the company are and trying to figure out. Uh, exactly which particular kind of techniques or ideas might help them the best is is definitely the way forward. You
2: know, the thing that struck me, Chris, in, in hearing you describe these different um engagements that were successful is the element of listening. You you described that both in your in your coaching that you said early on you come in and you listen to them and you learn about it and it's and that allows you to be successful. And even in your case of the of where you went in to do training you made the adjustment when you started listening. And mm-hmm. that, that idea of listening is not typically part of a training package that people buy. <laughs> you know, they, when, they're, when they're buying, you know, which which of these training factors I'm buying? The, listening is usually not expected to be part of it.
1: No, people are usually, training companies give a menu of choices because, and, and the training companies do it because that's what people seem to want. I think there's, you know, they want to be able to buy from a list and see the price and, and pay accordingly. And I think that that's a real shame. I think and with the better companies that I've worked with, they there is very much a to and fro and trying to understand, you know, exactly what they need and, and what might fit best and who might be the best person to send into a company. Um, what I try and do with every training course that I've run is is always send them the um, a little kind of uh, uh, questionnaire just beforehand, a couple of days before to each delegate, just saying, you know, what would you like to get out of this training? Why are you coming? You know, how are you coming because you've been forced to by your boss? I don't quite say it like that, but something like <laughs> that. Or are you coming because you genuinely want to learn and what do you already know what's one thing you already know about this topic and that can often really help Uh, it helps people engage with the material initially as well on day one but it also can really help me understand you know exactly what I'm getting myself into when I'm walking to a room Um, because the last thing I want to do is is turn up and deliver some kind of boring uh, rote material that isn't useful or, or relevant to people
2: I think some of these times where people have bought a package you know, in your example where you could adjust the training package, I think was actually kind of lucky if if you if you yes. hadn't had the stakeholders from the company in there, who could the people who were writing the check, who could say Absolutely. actually we want something that's valuable, not just box checking you might not have been able to do that adaptation if, no, if well, you... that's actually
1: quite uncommon, I think because they were so bought in and they'd invited everybody um you know I think. I think that that worked because they were really invested and they had to see this work. And the people who bought the training were in the room. Um, but I think very often where where training is sort of delivered almost on a rotor where you know everybody has to go through these ten training courses in the company and they they rotate it around and the come the courses happen every two months or or whatever. There's there's very little room to actually have those kind of conversations. And and I've always tried uh, with training again just to build in. Uh, Conversational aspects to it. So, to to have a a, a, if I haven't had at least one lively debate about something that I've said that's controversial, then I don't feel like we've got anywhere. (laughs) You know, because even the debate itself is the valuable thing. You know, sometimes I go in and and say something controversial, like you know, commit to half of what you're you're committed to last spring, for example, if it's a scrum team. You know, and the the commitments, and they go, we can't possibly do that because because our our um, you know our stakeholders would would never accept that and i'm like oh, okay so tell me why that's the case and then we find we start getting somewhere
2: that sounds like a conversation that doesn't sound like training
1: <laughs> well maybe training should be more like a conversation maybe 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 training should be less about the material and more about the the to and the, and the flow of discussion and the the debate i think um unfortunately i i feel like the the training industry is incentivized to base it around the material and that's where it feels like people often think the value is whereas Whereas I think I, I think it's very little about the, uh, about the material. It's more about the expertise of the trainer and being able to apply the material uh, they have in order to to a particular situation. Um, I've much better success. So I've, I've spent a number of years being an adult trainer. I'm now uh, working um, as a CTO and someone who buys in training. And what I've what I've tried to do when I do that is rather than buying courses, I've uh, tried to get in experts and and ask them what we need to know rather than trying to buy a particular thing about what we need to know so come and come and talk to us tell us about for example data science tell us about uh, how 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 do other companies do data science how should we do data science in our domain in our context with the people that we have um and that's very very valuable and and then they can also turn around and help us build a team which a training person couldn't necessarily do that the cost of that on on paper looks more expensive but actually the the value to the company is hugely greater than than a bunch of people who happen to know a little bit more about a few topics that may or may not be relevant.
2: I'm so reminded of of something uh, um, back when Apple was very rare in corporations. Back when it was a Microsoft domain and you know Windows, Microsoft, Microsoft I was, I owned everything. I remember reading uh, an article that described that the the difference between Apple's approach and Microsoft's approach is that Apple always focused on devices and experiences of the individual, the people who are going to get value from it directly. Whereas Microsoft was focused on selling through corporations. And so they were aimed at selling to the person who did the buying, which is not the same person who's the end user. No. And this seems very similar to me about this training situation, which is you have training being purchased by people who are not actually the end users. They have a remit to buy training, but they're not going to be experiencing it themselves, so they're um, going about and and as you sort of you know, choosing from menus, as as you described. I think this is this reminds me also of Martin Fowler in his State of Agile from two thousand and eighteen. He he talked about the Agile Industrial Complex, and that people were putting together these sort of packages that around the the one best way of doing things, because they were making it easy to buy. They were they were targeting really what fit that purchaser as opposed to people who needed to get the value. And that to me seems like kind of the crux here. And even your description of you as CTO is you're talking about being a savvy because you are in a sense the um, empowered buyer
1: mm.
2: as opposed to the delegated buyer, the sort of institutional buyer, the bureaucratic buyer. You're able to go in and say, let's focus on the value as opposed to you know what's on offer you know what 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 do you have for me to buy i have this budget <laughs> i have a remit of things to, to buy in and i'm trying to match the two up
1: and i think the the this kind of motivation to buy training in that way comes it does come from uh people who don't really know the topic and who, whose job it is just to make sure that people are trained um and you know other are, are people who are who are buying the courses from their preferred training suppliers but i also think it comes from a higher up in the company where you have these dynamics where people want their company to operate a bit like a machine, and they want the company to to work in a certain way. And I think it's very tempting to say, "Oh, well, in order for everything to work properly, I, I this this part, of, you know, the rest of my company might be film my machine. You know, money comes in, money comes out. Um, why can't our development teams work in the same way? So, you know, this idea that that you you want to buy training in order to uh, to make sure that everybody is working the same or working well or working efficiently." I think, or or that you can therefore, if everyone is using, um, I don't mean to particularly to to pick on Scrum right now, but uh, you know, if everyone's using Scrum and everyone's tracking velocity, it's really nice to be able to see a a big you know list on my TV screen in my office of all the different teams and all of their velocity numbers next to each other. That feels good, as someone who oversees large numbers of teams, it feels like everything's working well, and you can point to it and say, you know, everyone's working well. I can see it because of these numbers on the wall, and and I think that there's an awful lot of. Uh, a lot of people are, or uh, senior management can be incentivized in that way, which is also very, very unhelpful because ultimately the only real way to incentivize software development teams is the shipping of value to customers. Um, and defining that is, is sometimes difficult and messy, and therefore people shy away from it. But it is really the only way to do it. So so I think that there's a number of different kind of dynamics that that conspire together to to keep training in the sorry state that it's in.
0: Okay, well, I think that might be a good place to close. Uh, uh, Chris, you have a, a blog and and some courses and other material yeah. that that develops more on this. Do you, do you want to tell the listeners where they can go find out more?
1: It sounds a little disingenuous to say, you know, training is all terrible, and here's, here are my training things. But but ultimately, what I try and do with with some of the material is try, try and deconstruct some of the notions that we've talked about about uh, how training is is perhaps. Um, not the be on end all and there are other ways to figure out how to, to really make your agile team work so I've, i started a blog called delivery doubled.com and uh, i'm sure a link will be available and uh, it talks a little bit about some of these ideas in more detail and uh, maybe where you can go to get some more help Excellent.
0: Well, you can find Chris at deliverydoubled.com and that will, as he says, be in the show notes. So please have a look there. If you have topics to discuss that are related to this, we'd sure like to hear from you. So would Chris, you can find all of our contact details in the show notes as well as at conversationaltransformation.com. So go have a look there to find Twitter and email and videos and other things from me and Jeffrey. And of course, we like it when you hit the subscribe button, because then you can come and listen to us every week. We will be here again next week, I'm sure, talking about something equally interesting. Thanks so much, Chris, for being with us, and thank you, Jeffrey.
1: You're very welcome.
2: Thanks, Chris. Thanks, Scroll.